All right, Luke 18 is where we're going to be. We're going to pick it up in verse 31 where we left off last week. And let me, let me set up the message this way. <clears throat> really what we're looking at is what happens when we see Jesus, how seeing Jesus changes everything in a person's life. And as I'm putting the message together, I'm, I'm reminded actually this week of a, of a time where, you know, struggling with blindness, you know, and, um, and not, not, you know, physical blindness, also, although we'll see that in our text today, but I had a time when I, when I transferred out here, um, I, I worked as a, as a paramedic in Los Angeles, and I transferred out here to go to work out here, move my family out here, and that was, that was back in, in the late 80s. Anybody live out in this region in the late 80s? Show of hands here. Do you remember how foggy it used to get out here? And not so much anymore, right? But it used to be fog would come in, and it was like pea soup fog. I don't know if it's all the development or what, but, but we don't see it as much now. But man, the very first day I came out here, the fog was so thick that I was just crawling on the freeway trying to find my way to, my, to, to where I was stationed. I was stationed in Sun City. And um, man, I got to the station gratefully, I was, I was about a half hour late because of the fog, but everybody else was running late because of it. And sure enough, the very first call that I ran was for a massive pileup here on 215, had like 30 cars pile up in the fog. And tragically, we had a lot of people critically injured. We had two people, I think, that, that were fatalities. I mean, it was, it was a horrible thing. And it was all because people were blinded by the conditions around them. Well, again, we're going to see today what happens when we see Jesus, and, um, and we're going to look at three examples of people who couldn't see Jesus. We're going to see the disciples, first of all, that were blinded by their expectations of Jesus. We're going to see a beggar who was blinded by his affliction, and uh, we'll see, not this week, we won't have time to get into it, but we'll see next week a tax collector blinded by his situation, by his circumstances, uh, a guy you might have heard of by the name of Zacchaeus, that'll be next week. Anyway, let's jump right into it. First point, disciples, if you're taking notes, you can write it down, we're going to look at disciples blinded by their expectations. Verse 31 uh, is where we pick it up when we read, then Jesus took the twelve aside. And he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. The prophets had prophesied many, many things about Jesus Christ, about the coming Messiah, hundreds <coughs> excuse me, of prophecies that had been given about the coming Messiah. And so Jesus says that the things that were written by the prophets concerning, concerning the Son of Man, they're going to be accomplished for uh, He, Jesus speaking of Himself, will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge Him and kill Him, and the third day He will rise again. But they, speaking of the apostles, understood none of these things, they didn't have a clue, couldn't, couldn't, you know, buy a vowel, couldn't phone a friend. They just didn't get it. You know, sometimes you get discouraged in your walk as a Christian, and then you read about the, the disciples, the apostles, and, you know, they're frequently, you know, uh, they don't have a clue, you know, and don't want one a lot of times. So they understood none of these things, and you feel better about yourself. They understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which... Uh, were spoken. Now, when it says that Jesus' words were hidden from them, it comes from the Greek word crypto. We get the word kryptonite from that. I'm just kidding. Can you see if you're paying attention? Um, no. Um, the word crypto means to hide or to conceal, right? And, um, 
It can also be defined as to escape notice, and this is really sort of closer to the idea. Notice verse 34 says that they understood none of these things. That word understood means to set or join together in the mind. They just couldn't put it together, right? These are things that are supernaturally discerned, can only come from the the Spirit of God, but they're they're just not getting it. And um, the idea is that even though Jesus spelled this out really clearly, and really, also in the Greek, when it talks about that Jesus, you know, tells them these things, this like was an ongoing conversation. We read about three conversations here in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus, you know, told them this, but the implication in the Greek is that he was telling them regularly about what was coming, and, and they just didn't get it. They just could not see it. They couldn't understand Back in Luke uh, chapter 9, verses 21 and 22, we read about the first time Jesus uh, told his disciples this. Um, He told them that he would be rejected by the religious leader, that he was going to be tortured and killed, that he was going to be raised the third day. And uh, Matthew's gospel, also recording that that instance that we read about in in Luke 9, 21 and 22, um, Matthew's gospel gives us the additional information that that was the time when Jesus had to rebuke Peter, you know, Peter, Jesus telling the story about what's going to happen to his disciples, Peter's telling him, no, Jesus, that's not how it's going to go down, Peter rebuking Jesus, and then Jesus rebuking Peter right back saying, get behind me, Satan, you know, and, and so that was the first thing, and then 21 verses later in Luke chapter 9, you get to the second time, the second time at least that's recorded for us, that Jesus had warned his disciples that he was going to be betrayed, that's where he adds that additional detail, by the way. And the second time he tells them to it, that he's going to, he adds the detail he's going to be betrayed when he's crucified and all. But they still didn't get it. They still didn't understand. The text tells us there that they were afraid even to ask at that point. Um, who knows? Maybe with, you know, Peter getting rebuked by Jesus, that being fresh in their mind, they're like, well, I'm not going to ask, you know. And then the third time we read about here, Luke chapter 18, and Jesus here, he adds the additional detail that he's going to uh, be delivered into Gentile hands. And in fact, he would be. Rome had occupied uh, Israel, and uh, they had um, taken away their internal right to govern in the sense that, you know, if they wanted to put somebody to death for something, they couldn't do it. They had to you know, get uh, Rome to buy off on, you know, passing sentence and all of that. And, uh, and so Jesus, when he was crucified, of course, that's what happened. He ultimately went to Pontius Pilate, and he condemned him to death, and, uh, and that's where that came into play. So he was delivered into the Gentile hands. He was, he was beaten and scourged by the, the Roman guards and all. And so, you know, here we've got the third warning, but just like the first two, they, the disciples still don't get it don't have a clue, they can't buy a vowel, they can't phone a friend, they just don't get it. And why is it that they can't get it? It's our first point, they were blinded by their expectations, that's why. See, here's the deal. Israel at this point in time, they're under Roman occupation, and they hear all of these prophets about the coming Messiah, and for them, they were looking, because of their situation, because of their circumstance, They were looking in hopeful expectation to the Messiah who was going to come as a conquering king. See, some of the prophecies about Jesus talk about him coming as a conquering king. Other prophecies about Jesus through the prophets uh, were talking about the suffering servant that was to come. 
And so if you're, you know, in, in, in Israel in the first century, what you're doing is you're saying, I like those verses that talk about the conquering king. I really don't like the verses about the suffering servant because that's not what I need right now. I need a conquering king who's going to come and take care of Rome and uh, restore rule and order to, to Israel the way I want it. And so what do you do? You wink at those verses that talk about the suffering servant. Let's just sweep those under the rug. And you embrace those scriptures that talk about the conquering king, right? And this is exactly what they did. The, the Jews, and many to this day, uh, are looking for the conquering king to come first. And then they said, well, the, the, the suffering servant will come later, you know? And, uh, and in effect, what they did is they got it backwards, because what the Bible teaches is that Jesus came as a suffering servant, first of all, to take away the sins of the world, right? And then he will return as a conquering king to take care of all those that are unrepentant. But because God is a God of love, because he's a God of grace, because he's a God of mercy, because he desires that none should perish but that all should have everlasting life, and because you and I are sinners by nature and by choice, that we are just stuck, the default on us is, is, to, is just to behave in a sinful way. Because of God's love for us and because of our desperate need for love, God sent Jesus Christ to, to, to pay for the sins of mankind. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the Bible says, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says if, if you um, will confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, uh, confess, confession with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, the Bible promises that you will be saved. And, and so the, the, the desperate need is for a Savior who would come to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is what Jesus Christ came to do. So he came as a suffering servant. And then those who placed their faith in him, he died on the cross, uh, was buried. He rose again on the third day, conquering Satan and sin and death. Now he has ascended into heaven. The Bible tells us that he ever lives to make intercession for the saints at the right hand of the throne of God, the, the position of the advocate. That means right now, this moment, God is praying for you by name before the throne of God. Jesus praying for you by name before the throne of God. And then the Lord, between then his first coming and his second coming, he's, he's kind of just hit the pause button because for the last 2,000 years, he wants his, his, the gospel to go out. That there's a God in heaven who loves you, who desperately loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And, and so now for the last 2,000 years, God wanting, desiring none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. He's allowing so many generations to have the opportunity to receive the love and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so this is the plan. The, these guys got it backwards. Their expectation was we need a conquering king. That's what we're going to look for and, and, and all, and that's what our focus is going to be. Here's the deal. How'd they come up with that? They saw what they wanted to see, right? Um, they were so blinded by their expectations, that's, that's what they did. They said, well, the, the suffering servant, not what we expect, not what we want, not what we need. So those scriptures, we're going to sweep under the rug, Deal with those later, we'll embrace the ones we want. Here's our application right now for that, being blinded by your expectations. Sometimes 
We can come to God's word and we are blinded by expectations. And so what we can do is just as the disciples did is that we can wink at those verses that really are convicting that don't really answer my situation the way I perceive it. And I go, you know what? That one right there, not so much. And then I go shopping for a verse. I need another verse. Give me another verse, something that affirms me where I'm at, something that fits my circumstance, something that fits my situation. And then we say, oh, that's the verse I like. So you can't do it that way. It's the whole counsel of God's word that we need, guys. It's the whole word together. We can't just go shopping for a verse and just go, hey, I'm going to be governed by this. We can't approach God's word and our relationship with God letting our circumstances be our compass or our expectations be our compass or our feelings or emotions being our compass or allowing our kids or our spouse to, uh, to, to be our compass. And we, can, we can't allow our desires or am, our ambition to be our compass. We can't allow our wallets, our checkbooks to be our compass. What we have to do is we have to come to God's word regardless of the situation you're in, regardless of the circumstance you're in. We've got to come to the Lord and say, Lord, Help me to to approach your entire word as the compass by which I live my life. And even if your word says something that is contrary to what I want to hear right now, even if your word requires something of me that my feelings and my emotions don't want me to do right now, Lord, help me not to be blinded by my expectations and say, that's not the God I need you to be right now. I need you to be this God for me right now. And meanwhile, the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, no, no, I have to convict you of sin in this area. I have to recall you to obedience in this area. I have to call you to surrender in this area. Whatever it is, it's the whole word of God. That's our compass. That's what it has to be. The Bible says in, in the book of Proverbs, it says it twice, it says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14, 12, Proverbs 16, 25. Why does God repeat it twice? Because there's a way that seems like, that seems right to us, and that's the way we want to go. And God says its end is the way of death. You have to set your compass. You've got to set your watch by the entire counsel of God's word. So critically important. You know, <coughs> the Bible says, God speaking, my people die for lack of knowledge. And the thing is, is that we live in that age right now where there is a famine of God's word. There is an illiteracy of God's word. And so now you've got a lot of people going around. And the Bible says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And there's plenty of people that go out and they ta- they, they, they tack you know, they tag the name, you know, hey, this is, this is a, a Christian book, this is a godly, you know, author, whatever the case may be, and, and they, they espouse their things that appeal to our flesh, that appeal to our emotions, but that are bankrupt of Scripture. And what we have to do is we have to be those people that are discerning to be able not to just, you know, what, not to live like babies. What, what does your baby do? Some, some babies, they get to the, the age where they're crawling around, and they just test the world by their mouth. Man, everything goes right in their mouth. You're like, that's disgusting. Get that out. No, don't do that, you know. And, and you know, you just, they, they just don't indiscriminately. They just stick whatever it is, right, you know, in their mouth. Down it goes, you know. 
I remember, I remember my daughter, Caitlin, she got to the age where she could mobile around and she was a climber. She could climb anywhere. We had, we had medicine that I kept in a tackle box with a lock on it in a cabinet that had a, a child safety lock. She, in a matter of seconds, she got up on a counter, opened the child lock cabinet, got the, the, the tackle box out, grabbed the keys that we hadn't brilliantly hidden that were right next to the tackle box, found the right key, unlocked the tackle box, took out the triaminic, drank the whole bottle, put the triaminic bottle back in the tackle box, closed it, put the lock back on it, put it back in the cabinet, and Brenda just happened to catch her as she was shutting the cabinet door with a guilty look on her face. And just a little bit of orange residue right around her mouth. And so Brenda picks up the phone and calls me. I was working as a medic right near the house. I I get in my unit. I race home to get my kid. And uh, by the time we got her into the ER, she was walking like a little drunk, you know, into the ER because she drank a whole bottle of Trimedic. Listen, here's the deal. People like that today, they get all kinds of poison offered to them and they just drink it right on down. Sounds good, you know? Oh, that tastes great. Yeah, but it'll kill you. See, that's the thing, man. We can't be blinded by our expectations such that we say, I I want this part of what God's word says, but I don't want to take the whole thing. You get my point? So we got to take a walk with that. We got to say, man, I can't be a person who's blinded by my expectations and really not seeing Jesus as the Bible says he is. We continue, verse 35. It says, Then it happened, as Jesus was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road, <coughs> excuse me, by the road begging, uh, and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So here you, you got this guy, and you just imagine it. I mean, it's a tough, I mean, this is a first century, man. It's a tough day to have a physical affliction. And here, what do you got? You got you've got a beggar who's blinded by his affliction. His affliction is literal blindness. Tough, tough time. This guy, probably blind from birth, uh, does not live in a community or environment to where you know he's got a lot of grants and a lot of you know people taking care of him. That you just survived by what people would give you. And so beggars would position themselves on busy roads like this. This road to Jericho. Uh, would have been one of the most busy roads on the way to, up to Jerusalem. And it's leading up, you know, to the, to, to the Passover. And so, you know, there's going to be a lot of people on pilgrimage, you know, going to Jerusalem. So he's kind of positioned in a prime spot, but he's totally dependent on people. And, and you think about his life, it's just what a difficult life, you know, just to, to be blind in the first place, but to have to beg for a living. <clears throat> Mark's gospel gives us his name. His name's Bartimaeus. And um, tells us not only is his name Bartimaeus, but that he's the son of Timaeus. And, and I like that additional information because sometimes we can become blinded and numb to, to affliction, can't we? We, we, can. we can. We can become blinded and numb by different people's affliction. And, and, and so, you know, it's good that they give him a name. It's good that they tell us, hey, this is so-and-so's son. Like, you know, it, it makes it personal. It makes it, you know, just more identifiable. And so 
Jesus coming near to Jerusalem. Here's Bartimaeus on the road. He's begging. And now all of a sudden with his perception, he can't see, but he can hear. And, and, you know, deprived of one sense, people typically have acute and heightened awareness with their other senses, you know. And, And so, you know, Bartimaeus clues in. He's listening. And he hears this multitude passing by. He's like, what is going on? There's something different right now. And so they told him, verse 7, that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then those who went before warned him that he should keep quiet. Now, we don't know who was those who went before him. And, you know, for all we know, it could have been maybe some of the disciples that were shushing him. I mean, the the disciples were the ones that when people last week wanted to bring their children to Jesus so that he'd bless them, were were shooing them away, saying, you know, hey, you know, Jesus is a busy guy. He's got lots of stuff to do. Like, you know, get your kids out of here. And Jesus is like, sit down, bring your kids here. Like, you know, uh, of course he wants to bless. Don't, Don't hinder that. I want these kids to come to me. And so <clears throat> here's Bartimaeus. He's crying out. And these people, they're, they're, uh, they're telling him to be quiet. But notice there in verse 39, he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stood still and he commanded him to be brought to him. And when he'd come near, he asked him saying, what do you want me to do for you? You know, simple question. What do you want me to do? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and he followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it. Uh, they, they, they gave praise to God. Like what else are you going to do? You're just going to be sitting there just going, God is good. Look at what, what's just gone down. So here we've got this blinder, he's, or this beggar, he's blinded by his affliction. And the text tells us that this all goes down that as he's coming near to Jericho. Now I told you that Mark's gospel tells us that it's Bartimaeus. Um, but Mark's gospel also says that uh, Jesus encountered him when he was going out of Jericho. Luke says it happened when he was going into Jericho. And some people, they see the contradiction and they say, well, it's got to be a different beggar. Obviously, there's lots of beggars back in this day, lots of people with physical afflictions. Uh, and so it, it, maybe it's, it's a different guy. Um, and, and there are some prominent Bible commentators who think that they're different stories. But, man, there's so, so many similarities that you, it makes you wonder, wait a minute, is it? And, and did somebody just make a mistake? But then, for me, the light bulb comes on when you consider that when they're talking about Jericho, there actually were two Jerichos. And you'll remember the, the first Jericho, uh, what happened to it? Joshua chapter 6, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Jericho, come on, Jericho, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and walls came tumbling down, right? Thank you, children's ministry. There you go, to the rescue again. You guys know the story. So um, Jericho was destroyed by God, and, and, and hey, don't rebuild that thing, you know, kind of idea. Well, then they tried to rebuild it, and that city was destroyed as well. Then King Herod comes along in Jesus' day. 
King Herod comes along and he says, hey, this is a really nice, nice sweet spot. I'm going to rebuild Jericho, but I'm going to rebuild it right next door. So he did. He rebuilt the city of Jericho right next to the old Jericho. Okay, so, uh, and now today there's a whole nother city of Jericho that's, that's been rebuilt. If you go on a tour of Israel, you'll see. So, so the issue is there, there have been like four Jerichos, okay? So any way you slice it when you're in this region, you're either going into one Jericho or out of another Jericho, right? So, so it's the same story. This is the idea. And you got this beggar. He's afflicted with blindness. He's reduced to this life of begging. And I just want you to stop and consider the commonality of this guy's plight, okay? Lots of people today afflicted with, with all kinds of afflictions, certainly physical blindness, but man, there are people that are dealing with afflictions all around us. Today, maybe you just came, brought yourself into to church by, by, just by the, the, the skin of your teeth. Maybe you're just hanging on by a thread. And people, man, they're dealing with physical afflictions, they're dealing with emotional afflictions, dealing with spiritual afflictions, dealing with financial afflictions. Their afflictions, afflictions abound today, and, and they can leave you blind, and they can leave you in a place where you just feel helpless. They can leave you in a place of desperate need, just in desperation, <coughs> like Bartimaeus, where, where you know, you're here in this place, and all of a sudden... Man, Bartimaeus hears this commotion, and, and this crowd of people are coming by, and he's like, whoa, wait a minute, something changed, what's going on? And somebody says to him, Jesus is passing by. I want to ask you a question, when was the last time you saw the affliction around you? And when was the last time you were able to say somebody who was afflicted, Jesus is passing by? Listen, my friend, Jesus is passing by. Listen, you need to know, you need to hear that Jesus is passing you by right now. James said this, half-brother of Jesus in his epistle. He said, look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we're going to stay there a year. We're going to do business there, make a profit. He says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while and then it's gone. And the idea, listen, not only is life like that, to where, you know, it's here, it's just like the fog is here, and then all of a sudden it just sort of dissipates, and before you know it, it's all gone. And, the, and, the, and that's the way life is. But you know, as well, life can be like that fog in the sense that like Bartimaeus, you can, you can be blind, you can't see, you can't see Jesus, man. And, and, and there are many people that are living in, in the, that place of, of, of fogginess. They, they, you know, like the people that stacked up on 215 and all, you know, crashing. Why? Because they just couldn't see. And, 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 and the, the thing is, is that people are desperate for somebody to come along and say, listen, my friend, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but Jesus is here today. Jesus is here today. Listen, let me tell you that today. You need to hear that Jesus is passing by right now, today. I don't know what you got going on in your life. I don't know what brought you here. But here's what I do know. I know because of human nature. I know because I'm a pastor and I've heard it from other people. I know because I'm a sinner and I've said it myself. But man, there was a season in my life where basically I was raised in a Christian home. I knew better. But I decided, man, I'm going to go the party route because that's more fun. 
and I reasoned in my mind, you know what, I'm going to go have my fun, I'm going to go do my thing, and then, you know, when I get it all out of my system, I'll come back to the Lord, because he's gracious, he's merciful, he'll forgive me. And, that, and that's cool and all. I mean, it's, it, I mean it, it's cool in the sense that God is gracious. He is merciful. He is long-suffering. It doesn't matter who you are and what you've done, that, that it's never too late to repent. And I was able to come to the place to where, you know, Lord, I've just been a knucklehead. Have mercy on me. Forgive me. And, and his cleansing and redemption. But here's the problem. Not everybody gets to do that. You know, that attitude, that idea assumes that you've got the opportunity to, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm just, all right, I'm ready, and that you're going to have the time to do that. You don't know what tomorrow brings. I've, I've shared this story before several times, but it's just so illustrative of what I'm talking about. You know, I think of the guy that, I, you know, rolled out on a, on a traffic collision, guy getting off a 74 at Ethanac right there in Paris. You know, he's heading north on the 215, gets to Ethanac. He loops around the off-ramp. There's a signal at the end, and, and uh, he's, going, he's going into homeland. So the light changes green. He comes out broadsided, dead in an instant. And why that call stands out to me, because I've had several things like that, but why that one stands out in particular is because I pronounced that man dead, sitting in his car, his radio still on, and a cup of coffee still in his hand. All the contents were splattered all around the car. But the coffee cup was still in this man's hand. Let me tell you, one minute he was going to work, and the next minute he's standing before the judge of the universe. Look, Jesus is passing by. When I pray today, when we're done with the message today, I'll give you an invitation. And I'm going to tell you, listen, Jesus is passing by. Today is the day of salvation. And you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And so, so certainly, I pray that you hear the message. I pray you can identify with Bartimaeus, an afflicted man, a blind man, who needs someone to tell him that Jesus is passing by. Maybe you've been blind, and I'm telling you, Jesus is passing by. Today, he's knocking on the door of your heart, and he wants you to know he's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God that will cleanse every sin, forgive you of all unrighteousness. He will take the desires that you have in your heart that are for evil and he will change those desires for good. He will make you a new creation in Christ. That's what the Bible promises. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. God will do this work. Jesus is passing by. And listen, we need to be those kind of people. Because maybe you're sitting here and you're going, oh man, praise God, I heard the message that Jesus was passing by, Pastor. <clears throat> Maybe I give the invitation. Nobody raises their hands because everybody in here is a believer. Praise God. But listen, who was the last person that you told that Jesus was passing by? Because people are passing away while Jesus is passing by. The writer of Hebrews says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And so they tell uh, Bartimaeus here, they, they tell him that Jesus is passing by. And verse 38, he cries out. He's like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the people are like, shh, hey, cool it. Be cool, man. You know. And then he, he cries out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I want, to, I want to point out to you, I want you to take note of three important details in Bartimaeus' life. 
okay? Take note of this. Take a walk with it. Number one, I want you to note the urgency of Bartimaeus' cry. You know, there's a different Greek word used in verse 38 than there is in 39. There's two different Greek words used to describe how he cried out. In verse 38, it's an ordinary shout to to attract the attention of someone. But in verse 39, when, when he's crying out again and they're saying, hey, you know, cool it, nerd. Like, you know, relax. You're, you're freaking out. And he would not be stifled. And he's crying out all the more. The Greek word that's used there to describe the way he cries out, it's like the scream of a wild animal. It describes an ungovernable emotion, something that comes from your toes, that you're just screaming out. Bartimaeus is realizing Jesus is passing by. <clears throat> this is my opportunity, and he, and he will not be stopped. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's screaming it like a wild animal. This is the scream, you moms will get this, when your toddler goes to run out in traffic, and you scream, stop. This is the scream, you first responders will know it, it haunts you in your dreams at night, to where you go to a house, and a mom is screaming, save my baby. It is a scream that will not be stopped. It will not be denied. This is what, what Bartimaeus is just screaming out. Some of you need to cry out to Jesus like that today. Maybe not vocally. Maybe it's just the, the emotion of the, of the cry of the heart that says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Don't pass me by. Charles Spurgeon said, Take the gates of heaven and shake them with vehemence, as though you would pull them up post and bar and all. Stand at mercy's door and take no denial. Knock and knock and knock again, as though you would shake the very spheres until you obtain an answer to your cries. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. He's quoting Jesus Christ here. He says, cold prayers never win God's ear. Draw your bow with your full strength in order to send up your arrow so high as to heaven. The Lord says this, promises us that the Lord hears the righteous when they call out to him for help. The Lord hears the the call of the righteous. And so Jesus, he hears Bartimaeus' cry and he stops and he has him come over there. Now, what makes Bartimaeus' cry righteous. This is our second point. Notice how he relates to Jesus when he cries out to him. He doesn't say, hey, pinata, who's got all the goodies for me, stop, you know, so I can beat you with prayer and out come all the goodies. He doesn't say, hey, genie in the bottle, who's got three wishes to grant me. He doesn't say, hey, fire insurance, you know, uh, I could use a handy guy like you. I could use a little bit of forgiveness, that hope of eternal life kind of thing. None of that. He calls him Lord, literally the owner, the one who has control over you, the master. He calls him the son of David. This is a messianic title. He calls him by his, his messianic title. Hey, you're the Messiah. In other words, he believes that Jesus is the Christ. He believes that he's the Messiah. <coughs> he believes that he's the son of the living God. This is his belief coming out in his cry to Jesus. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, if you believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, that brings us to the third thing I want you to note, that Bartimaeus asks Jesus for mercy. 
He asks him for mercy. No sense of entitlement in his, in his cry. No indignant pride, just a humble confession. He says, have mercy on me. And it's an amazing thing when you look at the tense in the Greek there, him saying, have mercy on me. It's like, I need mercy right now. And the same tense is used when Jesus heals him. And Jesus looks at him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And, and, and you go, duh, I, I want my sight back, right? Now, it seems like an obvious question, but Jesus has, has an intent, intensive purpose. The idea <coughs> is that he wants him to articulate his specific need. Wants him to articulate his specific need. He's like, hey, you know, you, you, uh, you, you, you answer the question for me. What is it that you want? And, and so Bartimaeus says, hey, I, I want to receive my sight. See, God wants us to tell him our needs. He wants us to get down to specifics. Why? Because he wants us to trust in him. He wants our reliance to be upon him. And then when he answers our prayers, he wants our praise to go to him. Lord, Bartimaeus cries out in general, I need mercy. By the way, we all need mercy. We all need the mercy of God. And Bartimaeus says, I need your mercy right now. And Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well. And and the way that it's articulated and Jesus telling him he's healed him, it's, hey, it's immediate, it's right now. Just as you said, I need your mercy right now. He said, I'm going to give you your mercy right now. But he got down to brass tacks. He's like, what do you want me to do? He says, I want my, I want my sight, Lord. I'd like to see. I like what David Guzik said. He says, it might seem that the need of Bartimaeus was obvious, yet Jesus had a deliberate purpose in the question. There was real power in both the asking and in the answering of Jesus. God may ask us the same question. What do you want me to do for you? That's the question. He says, and we should be able to articulate an answer that glorifies him. He goes on. This is a wonderful, simple question. God has not stopped asking. What do you want me to do for you? Um, Sometimes we go without when God would want to give us something simply because we will not answer this question. And we do not have because we do not ask. He says, the specific nature of Bartimaeus' request is a good example for our prayers. Have mercy on me as general. But his prayer moved from the general to the specific request that I may receive my sight. And so this man who can't see Jesus because of his affliction, he cries out with urgency. He relates to God as his Lord and Savior. He pleads with Jesus for mercy and he makes his request specifically and he makes it boldly. And Jesus tells him, He says, uh, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. And he followed him, glorifying him. And then, of course, the people, they're glorifying the Lord. They're praising the Lord. Jesus said, you know, that we are to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Right? And and so what's happening here? Jesus is, is letting his light shine. And people can't help but glorify the Lord. And I want you to think about it. This guy, probably blind his whole life, in a moment, in an instant, of course they're glorifying the Lord, he can see. Can you imagine what that would be like? All of a sudden not be able to see, but all of a sudden you get it 
right, right now? And you're like, oh my gosh. And who's the first thing? What's the first thing he sees? The face of Jesus Christ. And it's all downhill from there, man. Like, oh man, you know, he sees Jesus face to face. Now Mark's account of this, this story is helpful, and I'm going to close just identifying this. But it gives us an additional aspect of the story. Mark 10.52, let me put it on the screen for you. Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus on the road. What's the significance of that? Jesus says to him, all right, there you go. Now you can see, you can go your way. And the guy says, my way is your way. Where are you going? That's where I want to be. That's where I want to go. Guys, that's got to be our way too.